Well, hello and welcome to the movie Paradise. I'm your host, Nathaniel Molnar. I'm joined by Rob Giganto, special guest host. Thanks for being here, Rob. No problem. And we are talking to a very special guest today. He is the writer and director of the new Happy Death Day to You film, Chris Landon. Thanks for being here. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. No problem. Yeah, so uh, we had a chance to go see the film yesterday. Uh, before we get into this interview, I just want to say we both love the movie. Um, I So, Rob, you saw Happy Death Day 1 when it came out, right? Yes, I did. I saw it with my family. We went to the movie theater, and I wasn't really sure what to expect. I hadn't seen many trailers, but it, it looked like it could be fun, and I honestly, I really enjoyed it, and I recommend it yeah, to you've, someone like Nathaniel. Like, ever since and, it came out, you've been raving about this movie. I, I just find it to be a lot of fun, and I, yeah. I think it's a, a good movie for everybody to watch, I think. It's got a little bit of everything for everybody. Nice. Yeah, and I, I had not seen it. Honestly, I watched the first one for the first time yesterday, right before we saw the new one. So I, I, I didn't know what to expect other than Rob's rave recommendation, and I loved it. I thought it was great. And to be completely honest, I liked the new one even more. Oh, I thought I really loved this new one. I, I really was impressed with it. Uh, so first of all, great job, Chris, uh, with the film. So with this new one. The first Happy Death Day, you directed, but you did not write the script. With this new Happy Death Day, you are both writing and directing. So I'm curious, how is your approach to the sequel different when you're writing and directing it as opposed to just directing the first one? Well, I mean, look, first of all, I'm not I'm not su supposed to talk about it, you know, in any great detail. And I never would want to take away from the the, the amazing contributions of, of Scott Lobedell, who wrote the first movie. Um, Absolutely. But I was originally I was hired to rewrite the first movie. Um, that's how I became involved with the project. Um, so so even though I'm not credited, um, I did have uh, I made a fairly significant contribution to that script. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't like it was a new thing for me. To, yeah. To jump into that that particular role because I had I had done it on the first movie as well. Um, so it felt pretty, pretty comfortable. Um, it was it was very old hat for me um, since I had been with that first story for 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 quite a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you said so you said you did a uh, an unofficial rewrite on the first film. Is there? Would you say that there are elements? It and you said you can't comment too much on it, and no, I understand w, that the WGA policy. Once they've once they've determined a, a, a credit, they don't like mm -hmm. people talking about it. It's just sort of a, a, a guild policy thing. I mean, yeah. you know, all I can say is, I mean, I wrote, I actually wrote seven drafts of. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just a tricky system, you know, um, and, and at yeah. the end of the day, it's it's a system that's ultimately, you know, rightfully so designed to protect the original writer of a film um, yeah. because they don't want, you know, people coming in and sort of making sort of cursory changes and then trying to take credit away from other people. Um, so it's it's a it's, it's a bit of a tricky, tricky number. Um, but like I said, I was I was I was very deeply involved in the in the first movie from, from that, from that perspective. Um, but ultimately it was, it was Scott that got sole credit for that work. So my question then going back to the first one is I had read online that 
the script that Scott wrote for the first film, it was around as early as like 2007. Um, at what point in the process were you brought on for that first film? 2007. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. I, so here's the, I'll give you the quick backstory. So, uh, yes. you know, they, the, the, the script was out there. Um, and they, and the, the studio at the time was entertaining the idea of, of making it. Um, but they weren't, they weren't, they didn't feel that the script was where it needed to be. Um, so, so I was hired to, to rewrite it. Um, and, um, and they hired another, they, they eventually had hired another director. Um, it was a music video director, uh, who, who was going to make the movie. And then, um, something happened. It's just sort of, they, they got cold feet. And then I think that particular division of universal closed, it was called rogue. Um, hmm. and so rogue closed and then the script kind of just sat on a shelf forever. Um, and then I obviously went off and was doing other stuff. I worked on a TV show for a while. I, um, you know, was writing the paranormal movies and whatnot. And then, um, I was having lunch with the producer and the script came up and I said, you know, it's such a bummer. Cause I really loved that, that script. And I think it would be such a cool movie. And then all of a sudden this light bulb turned on and I said, you know what? I, sh- I got to call Jason Blum because his deal is at universal. So I, I called Jason Blum and I said, I think I have something cool for you. And I sent it over to him. And then, I mean, not, I think the very next day he called me, um, and he said, we're making this. And then, wow. and then just <laughs> and after it sat for years and years and years collecting dust, we, flew into production um so at what at what point was this the film came out in 2017 so was this like 2016 ish this was closer to no it was 2000 it was 2015 Uh, okay i i made we made the movie very quickly but then the studio decided to hold the movie until halloween they really wanted to go after this um friday the 13th release date that was in october which i think was a really smart choice um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the movie kind of hung out for for probably about like six months finished. Wow. Um, before it before it was ultimately released. Wow. So, so you so you did uh, a few drafts on that first one. You directed the film. I am curious when. So, the character of Tree played by Jessica Roth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character. There's a lot to the character that is brought to life by the performance. Yes. Uh, a lot of the, how the character is made, and really, I, I believe these films hinge on you buying into her character and you getting behind her. Mm-hmm. And then, especially when we get into the second film, when a lot of things start happening that are rather kind of crazy and out of the box, they mean something because you care about this character and you care about what is happening to her and the other characters surrounding her. Right. So my question to you would be how much of that character was defined from the script and then how much of it was you working with Jessica Roth to find the right character and find the right tone for her? I mean, I think it was... I think it's all of the above, and and I would say that in equal measures. Um, uh, you know, one thing that I thought was really important, um, you know, when when I approached the first movie, um, you know, it was key for me that that she really had this very specific and clearly defined arc. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so it was it was critical that at the beginning of the movie she was a pretty despicable person, right? You know, she's she's having an affair with a married man, she's abusive to her friends, she's dismissive of others. Um, but we also wanted to I also wanted to make sure that there were little hints dropped in there that there was some personal stuff going on for her that kind of made her this way. Um, and then as she sort of begins to, you know, face the time loop and, and really gets a good hard look at herself, she begins to, to change. And part of that change, um, you know, which is, which is a very emotional kind of journey for her. Um, but I also, it was really, it was really critical for me to make sure that there was, there was a lot of humor um, yeah, because I think that that's a very endearing quality in, in a person. Um, you know, what my, all of my, my, tr- my very close friends are really funny people. Um, and there was just something about Jessica when I first met her, um, where she just embodied all of the qualities that I was looking for in, in an actor. She, she was, um, smart and funny and, um, just but a very real person um and there was just this sort of a uh, really beautiful quality to her that i thought was such a perfect match and so when when jess and i started to we did a lot of rehearsing i like to do a ton of rehearsals when uh, whenever i make a film um as much as i'm allowed to do with the within the sort of short time frame that we get um and so it was a big part of it was jess and i getting together and really kind of digging in and kind of sort of finding a lot of the the, the nuance of, of the character. And then, and then even while we were shooting, um, you know, we would discover things, you know, there's this scene in the first movie where, 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 and it was one of the bigger laughs that we had, um, in the first movie when, when she wakes up, I don't know, it might be like the fifth or sixth time and Carter starts to speak and she shouts silence and like puts her, (laughs) she does this like very crazy that was that was a, that was a moment on the day that was like a third or fourth take where I suddenly that idea kind of popped into my brain and I said, oh, my God, try this. Um, yeah. And and that was the joy of, of working with her was there was so much discovery along the way. Some of my favorite lines in the movie, she has a really awesome, really shitty diss um, to to Tim, the guy that keeps popping out from behind the the pillar, um, on her during her walk of shame. And she makes a, a subway joke about him not having a foot long. Uh, <laughs> and, and that was Jess totally doing that on the fly, like during yeah. take, like it wasn't discussed. It wasn't rehearsed. Um, she pulled that one out and it was one of those moments where I had to like bite my hand while we were rolling. Cause I was cracking up. Um, so that was, that was the real fun of, of, of working with Jess is that she's, she's super collaborative we have crazy chemistry um, in terms of feeling very much in sync. Um, mm. And so our, our kind of joint vision of who this character was, I think, helped helped the movie in a, in, a, in a pretty significant way. And then ultimately sort of helped pave a really solid foundation for the second one. I felt like I could I could ask her to do more because of the relationship that we had from the first movie. Would you say there was a lot of Im- more improv maybe on the second movie than there was in the first one just because of your guys' relationship? You know, I I wouldn't say there was more just because, you know, when you're making when you're making a movie for for Jason Blum, you know, one of the things that you sign up for is the fact that you're you're making something at a lower budget level. Uh, yeah. and so it's not like we ever had tons of time to kind of like 
fuck around and improv and do lots of crazy stuff. It's just, you just can't pull that off with the schedule yep. that we have. So, I mean, we, we stuck fairly close to the script, but there were still, there's still wiggle room in there to, to experiment and play with some stuff. Um, in terms of, of improvising a bit. Um, and I always try to give actors as much of that as I can. And if they have ideas, I'm always all ears about it. But, um, but we did have to kind of, we were sticking to, to, to the script pretty closely for the most part. How long was the, uh, the shoot schedule for both films? I would ask the first film, the first film I had, uh, it was a 25 day shoot. Um, the second film, I believe we had a 29 day shoot. Um, hmm. so they were both pretty, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, um, you know, very, very tight schedules. You mentioned that when working with Jason Blum and Blumhouse that you're kept to a pretty tight budget, which seems to be their method of success, right. uh, is putting out, uh, low budget films and then they get a, a large intake back at the box office. Uh, would you say when you're working with this lower budget, was there any, like, was there like a, a push and a back and forth with Blumhouse at all? Like there was something you wanted to do, but you couldn't get the right budget for it. Or were there thing, uh, go arounds that you had to do to kind of keep with the vision that you had for the film, uh, but adhering to this budget that was given to you? Right. I mean, the, the, I'll say this. I mean, the beauty of working with Jason and, and with that company is that, I mean, they, they really genuinely support their filmmakers. Um, yeah. And so they really, truly let you make the movie that you want to make. Like, they don't, they don't hover over you on set and tell you what to do. All of the notes that I ever received from them were purely take-it-or-leave-it notes. If, if you agree mm. with them, I would execute them. And if I didn't, I didn't have to do them. Um, and... But it, but again, it all comes back to as long as you stay within budget. And so sometimes I had to go in there and kind of cut stuff out. Um, there were, there were deaths that I wanted to shoot that were too big or too expensive. Um, so those had to go, um, or I had to change them. And, um, you know, sometimes, uh, I mean, I would say on a daily basis, I had to cut my shot list um, down because I just, I, I, there, it, it was too ambitious. Um, and so those are the kind of things that you just have to kind of stomach and deal with because, um, that's the agreement that you've made with them and you, you can't go over budget because there is no money left. No one's going to come in and bail you out, you know, if you, yeah. you go way over. So, um, that's the responsibility that I had as a, as a filmmaker, but, but it also kind of in many ways can creatively, um, force you to be a, a bit more nimble, um, and, and we would find some pretty fun things that we could do um, because of those constraints. Um, so I, I think it's, I'm grateful that I've, that I've been able to work in a, in a low budget space um, because I think it, you can't get away with, you can't hide behind stuff. You know, you can't hide behind tons of visual effects and you can't hide behind all those things. You really have to kind of lean into story and character to try and, and convince people that it's, that you're making a good movie. Um, in the the second one, there's a montage sequence where you get to see all these different deaths. Now, I, I was wondering what the thought process was in coming up with those different deaths, and were there <laughs> some? Uh, could you tell us maybe some of the deaths that didn't make the the movie that you guys wanted to do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a super, it's a pretty funny and fucked up thing to to do, you know, because not only <laughs> it wasn't just me, like you know, I I I, I encouraged. Um, I actually had a contest 
um, when we were in pre-production with, with my crew and my actors. And it was like, come up with a funny death day, you know, like it was, I really <laughs> opened it up. I was like, if anybody has a really funny death in their brain, please come share it with me. Um, and, um, and I, I know I was constantly like, whenever I was driving around or walking around, you know, if I saw something, I'd be like, Oh, that's awesome. Um, and I would scribble it down in a notebook, but, um, uh, the, it was, it was a lot of fun. First, first of all, getting to, to shoot all the elements for that sequence. It really was, it was because it, it was designed to be sort of like this companion to the montage in the first movie, you know, where in the first movie, you know, she has a murder montage. Um, yep. in this one, we called it the reset montage where she sort of was like, you know, screw it. I'm not going to let some killer sort of take away my power. Um, so she, she was in charge of her own destiny there. Um, there was one, there was one really funny death that I was super bummed that we couldn't do because it was going to interrupt the middle of the montage. And we ended up going with, with a version of this anyway, with the skydiving bit, but there was a, there was going to be a, a, a bit where she, we cut to the music would stop and we would cut to tree sitting in a car and she's reading her, you know, her, her journal where she's keeping all of the, all of her notes and the Carpenters um, was going to be playing on the radio uh, close to you. Um, mm-hmm. And the car starts kind of getting smaller. And she's like kind of scrunching the book closer and closer until we realize that she's in one of those car crushers. Oh. <laughs> and she's literally slowly being smashed to death. Um, and so it was going to be this really funny, gruesome bit but it was so complicated and expensive that there was no way i could could actually do it so that one got cut there was also another one where she dives into a big uh she goes to the an aquarium and dives into a shark great white shark exhibit thing and (laughs) she gets eaten so there was that one too but i think i think what we ended up with still felt ultimately effective yep yeah, I that whole sequence of the movie, I I thought that was awesome. I I loved that, especially like I I don't want to give too. I do want to do a portion of this interview that's uh, spoilers, but I I want to keep this first half spoiler free. But uh, there's the one with the wood chipper. <laughs> that was that one was excellent, and like you mentioned, the skydiving one. That was probably my favorite. I absolutely loved that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, it's it's a really what what's super tricky about these movies um, is that. Um, you know, they're PG 13. So mm-hmm. I, I have to be super calculated and careful about how far I can push it. Um, so it was always trying to find the balance, the balance that made something funny and kind of gross, but not too, too gross or too dark. Um, it kind of took you out of the movie. Um, so it was, it was always the, the balance of it all was always a, a bit of a, a challenge. Would you say, well, was there ever a point in time where these movies were supposed to be rated R or were they always planned as PG-13? They, it's, there was a version early, early on. Um, and, and in one of my earlier drafts, um, I did write a very hard R version where her deaths were insanely violent. Um, <laughs> they were super gory. Um, and over the top. And it's an interesting thing because I know there are a lot of horror fans out there that really would have appreciated that version of the movie. Um, but ultimately what we found as we were kind of pressing forward was that it didn't, we didn't feel like the movie benefited from it. You know what I mean? Like there are certain films, like I don't want to go see 
you know, like a new Halloween, um, that's PG 13. Like I'm in it for, I want to see Michael Myers, like, you know, really brutally murdering people. So I, I, I appreciate gore. Like no one wants to see saw and see PG 13 saw. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so the, there are certain kinds of movies that just absolutely require gore, but this was a movie that was so, that had such kind of a, a lightness and tone and a sweetness to it, you know, that yeah. it felt like it almost betrayed the ultimate spirit of the movie by being gory and being uber violent because it, it, it kind of, it took the, um, especially because we're dealing with a girl, a young woman who's, who's, who's trying to solve her own murder and is dying over and over again. It, I didn't want it to feel gratuitous. Um, so I, that's why ultimately we all collectively agreed to go for a PG 13 rating on this movie. It wasn't like a studio mandate, like you have to do it this way. Um, yeah. we all just felt like it was the right thing to do for the movie. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that the PG-13 rating really helps with that. Uh, and especially, I think it definitely goes to what you're saying about the tone of the movie. That And we see this definitely upped in the second one. In the first one, we have, like, half of the movie is kind of horror. And then it starts, the second half really starts getting into this lighter, more comedic tone. And then the second one really just goes full in on that tone. Yeah. And... I, I loved that the second one really just fully embraced it. And was that always something like when you were directing the first Happy Death Day and doing the subsequent rewrites of the script um, and you were balancing this horror tone with this comedic tone, mm -hmm. was it always intended that you wanted to kind of fully explore the comedic tone in the sequel? It was that something like you became attached to when making the first one? I, I mean, look, I, I've always loved blending those elements. I love horror comedies. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but it's, it's mine. It's definitely my jam. So I've, I've, I, it's a big, it's a big thing for me. I, what was interesting about making the two movies was on the first movie, like there was an op, there was an opportunity to be, to be more of a horror movie because we were dealing with it was a slasher film, you know? Um, yeah. And we had a killer and who was, you know, who was, who was aggressively pursuing um, their victim. And so it, it was easy for me to lean into the horror elements of that. What I, what I discovered and decided when I approached the second movie was that, um, you know, if I was going to try to make a movie that felt different, and fresh and not like some sort of retread. Um, I was going to have to, I was going to have to shift it up a bit, um, in a, in a pretty significant way because I knew that I couldn't make the same movie twice. Um, it just, yeah. it just wasn't going to work. We had seen her, you know, go through all of these motions and watch her sort of be in a loop. And I didn't, and I didn't want to watch a new character go through that. Like it's, it's funny the the first part again, without, you know, giving anything away, the the first act or the first twenty minutes or so of 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 the of the new one, I actually intentionally misled the audience into believing that was the movie that they were going to be watching. Um, and then I obviously flip it because I I wanted to kind of wink and nod at everybody, but it was also like a baton handoff, like yeah, like the first the first 
you know, 20 minutes in that movie is sort of is more reminiscent of the first movie. And then I say, and then I stop, I like, I hit the brakes and I say, no, we're going to, we're going to turn now. Um, so it was, yeah, it was, it was critical for me to, to not, I, I had to, I had to kind of, I had to slightly, not even just slightly, I had to really change gears and change the genre a bit in order to, I, what I felt like was to ultimately successfully, um, move on. Uh, I, I found it interesting that, that we got to see, uh, I forget what the character's name is with the blonde hair, but it was cool because watching the first movie, I always thought to myself, it would be cool to see where these other characters, what their day was like that same day. And do you think there's a possibility where we could, maybe if there was another movie where like a third happy death there where we could see where some of the other characters were that day or even maybe the day before Feb- uh, the 18th, maybe the 17th? Right. Well, I mean, I think this, the sad, heartbreaking news, at least for me right now, is that based on our, our opening weekend, I highly doubt there's ever going to be a third. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, oh, we had a rough... I didn't look at the box office numbers. <laughs> I haven't checked it. We had, a, we had a rough, rough weekend, unfortunately. Um, there was I think a lot that, of movies that came out this week. Yeah, it was, a, it was a busy weekend. And I think, honestly, it's funny, like, you know, for better or for worse... Um, you know, the campaign that was built for this movie was sort of like promising, promising people kind of the same style of movie. Um, and, and everybody felt like it was, it was in everyone's best interest to withhold the sci-fi element of the sequel. And I think that maybe wasn't the the best decision in the end. Um, because I don't think anybody out there really knew that we were actually going to do something truly different. Um, and so yeah. it may have ultimately it made people maybe feel like, well, we saw that movie. Why do I need to go see it again? Um, so, anyways, I I did or I do have an idea for for the third movie because I, I kind of wanted this to be a trilogy, um, and I had a truly batshit idea <laughs> for, for the third one. Which no, but again, if if people thought this was if if this was a curveball for people, then the third one was going to be another one. Um, wow. and I'd pitched it to Jason a few weeks before, uh, before this one opened and it was the same kind of thing that he, same reaction he had the second time, which was that that's crazy and ridiculous and you should probably try to do that. Um, but, uh, alas, it, it, it probably won't happen unless we pull like a John Wick and, and the movie does so well, um, you know, aftermarket that, that we, that we uh, have a reason to to go back. I wish we could. I love working with these people too. I love working with Jessica and not just her, our whole cast and and our crew. You know, we're all a bit of a of a family now. So it was it's yeah. a bit of a bummer for me to to not have a, a good weekend. I I what was the the first thing I said as soon as the second one ended? I said I'm all on board for the third one. Yes, I was, <laughs> I, I could not wait for the third one. Would the third one? Is, I know there was kind of like a mid credit mid or whatever after credits yeah, without one. without going into what it is would that to... one would the third one like would it take that or would it go in a new direction no it was it, that was very much connected to the idea for part three. Uh, oh, okay yeah but again like it was it was one of those i'll say this the idea that i have for the third one really was born out of me sitting in the editing room um and then realizing that there was a certain kind of time loop movie that nobody has done yet and i couldn't believe that it hasn't been done yet since i feel like there are 
literally dozens and dozens of time loop movies out there now. Um, but nobody had done this particular idea with it yet. So I got super excited about the prospects of that. Um, but, uh, again, you know, yeah, I, I mean, happening here's, here's hoping that in the long run, it does really well and it, it earns that money because it, the film definitely deserves it. Um, I, so you mentioned that there were tons and tons of time travel movies. Uh, I'm, I'm curious obviously the films directly mention in a tongue in cheek way, directly mention other movies like Groundhog Day and, and back to the future. I'm curious, like maybe in addition to those, what are some other movies that were direct influences for both the happy death day movies? I, there were a ton. It's so funny too, because a lot of people ask me outside of the obvious, which is, which is, you know, Groundhog Day, but, um, People have said, "Oh, what other what other time loop movies were you watching?" And and the and the answer to that was none. Um, I avoided them like the plague. I actually did not watch Groundhog Day again. Um, I avoided that movie as well um, because I didn't want it to sort of uh, influence my my process and what I was trying to do huh. with both movies. But uh, I will say that I um, I mean I think Wes Craven's you know, influence is, is, is keenly felt in the first movie. Um, I was a huge fan of, of that series. I love Scream 1 and 2. Um, mm. So um, those were big influences. Um, you know, I, I tend to return to the well of, of John Hughes. Um, mm. There are, and there's a very, very, uh, very specific and notable scene in Happy Death Day, the first one, that is a total John Hughes callback. Um, which is the, there's a scene with, with Tree and Carter where she's, uh, it's toward the end of the movie and she's blowing out her, her cupcake. Um, it's right before she eats it. Um, that was, that was my, my homage to 16 Candles. Uh, yeah. so John Hughes is another one, but it's funny on the second movie, I had other influences. I went back to movies that I loved from when I was a kid, like, um, Weird Science, um, uh, Real Genius, um, I even had a, a, a little rando touch of um, of uh, terms of endearment. <laughs> um, so there were different there were different influences abound on on all of these these movies. I'm a huge movie fanatic. Um, I think a lot of I'm sure most directors are. Um, but you know, like Carter's dorm room is is populated with posters of movies that are are all favorites of mine. Um, and it ended up being kind of random. It's almost like kismet that I, I had put up a back to the future poster in his dorm room. It's the poster that's right behind tree every time she wakes up in the first movie. And, um, not knowing that I was going to go in a very back to the future kind of direction with the second movie. Hmm. Wow. That's really, interesting. Uh, in this second one, I noticed, I think it was like a landscaping truck or whatever. It had the name like Biff's company. Yeah. Was was that you yeah. that put that in there? Because I thought there, I there, noticed that right away. There are some really fun Back to the Future Easter eggs um, that are in the second movie. Um, that's one of them for sure. If you can freeze frame, you know, there's a there's a homeless guy, you know, that pops up behind a bush. Um, yeah, yeah, in the beginning. If anyone actually is able to freeze frame it and read the sign he's holding, it actually says, "Will work for flux capacitor." Uh, uh, and then there's one other one other back to the future easter egg that's tucked into the movie that i'm actually not allowed to talk about for 
That's completely fine. Complex legal reasons, um, but I snuck one. <laughs> that's really awesome. That only the most hardcore fan would ever get. But, um, but yeah, I uh, I love I love those movies. I love Robert Zemeckis. Um, I'm I'm such a huge fan of his work, and um, I just was it was really cool to be able to to dabble in that that arena. Now, can you help settle a personal <laughs> debate between us? Okay, which I'll one try. do you prefer? Back to the Future One or Back to the Future Two? Um, see, this is a top. I'm the wrong guy to ask because I have I have so much appreciation and respect for both of them. Um, from a pure entertainment and enjoyment level, I would say one. Um, but from a complexity storytelling perspective, I would say two. Um, I think <laughs> they right both, down the middle. <laughs> they both. And I, by the way. I think people who who maybe a lot of people who who watch you know these movies will say the same thing. I think some people will always kind of have an allegiance to the first movie, also just because it was the first, you know. Um, so it, it felt felt fresh and brand new. Um, while some others might kind of feel that the second one is is such a fun companion that it's um, you know it's it's a tough one. I can't I can't settle that dispute between you guys. Sorry. No, that's okay. Yeah. I, I was also wondering, I don't know if, uh, I also kind of was thinking of Gremlins 2 in a way when I was watching this one, in, <laughs> which that, that movie is so different than the first Gremlins. And it's so bad shit. So yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think in the spirit of it being different and crazy, um, I think I think they are what's what I think is kind of, what's different about this movie than I think a lot of other ones is that, you know, and I think it's, it's funny. It's much, much, much more appreciated um, when you have the opportunity to watch them closer together. Um, yep. Because a lot of the stuff that I did here gets lost in the in sort of the distance between viewings, and so I think that if people can watch them back to back, and we actually proposed, and I think they're going to do it. Um, they're going to, on at least on DVD, they're going to create a supercut. Um, oh, so oh, there won't be any, <laughs> um, so they'll just kind of pick up, you know, where the other one ends. And, um, because there's a lot of crazy stuff going on here. I mean, apart from, you know, just big kind of obvious stuff, the, you know, when the, in the, with the, you know, changes in, in the dimensions, um, you know, um, there's, there's actual footage which I don't think anyone's ever really done before. Um, there's footage in the second movie that's lifted directly from the first because the scenes were so seamless. I was actually able to use shots from the first movie and put them in the second one and not as flashbacks. I mean, just telling the second story. Wow. Yeah. Well, that reminds me, I don't know if you had a chance to see the other Blumhouse movie, uh, Glass, that just recently came out, but they did a similar thing with that too. Where they took... Clips oh, from Unbreakable. And it put was them a deleted the scene from yeah. Unbreakable. I, I thought that was really uh, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's fun. It was cool getting to, you know, revisit the first movie in such a specific way. Yeah, and I'd, I'd say, I know for us, we watched uh, the first one and to yesterday, and then, like, as soon as it was over, we drove to the theater to go see the second one. So we, when we were uh, watching them, especially me seeing it for the first time, we definitely had that experience of one right into the next. I could definitely see 
it, it they flow. They're such great companion pieces. They work so well together, and they flow from one right into the next. But then we also had someone who came with us <laughs> that had not seen the first one. Oh wow! And just went right into the second one. It, that was on. I, I tried. I tried to tell him like you probably should have watched the first one before. Yeah. But he seemed to enjoy it too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could, you could. Well, we had our first test screening. We we definitely invited people who had not seen the first movie just because we needed to make sure that like people wouldn't be completely lost. Um, <laughs> and I think there was a certain they they enjoyed the movie, but um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think you can. It's it's definitely not not even close to the same experience. Uh, if we want to get into into some spoilers for the new one, yeah. Uh, so. Anyone listening who has not seen Happy Death Day to you, uh, don't listen to this part from here on because we're going to be talking about spoilers about the new one. So um, one of the things that I really loved about this new one is exploring the uh, tree's relationship with her mother. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a great thing because she, in the first movie, she doesn't have any relationship relationship with her mother. Her mother has passed away. And then in the new one, she enters this alternate dimension and then suddenly... Her mother is there, um, but then she doesn't have memories with her mother. And so there's this uh, moral debate with Tree's character as to whether or not to stay in this universe or go back to her own. Uh, so how did you come up with this part of the story? And I think it, it's really key in bringing in like the emotional arc of Tree's character. Uh, how did you land on this and how did you decide to flush that out? So one thing I knew when I was considering the idea of a sequel was that if I was going, if I was going to make a second movie that I really wanted it to be, I wanted to stay with tree. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and the only way that I could do that is if she had some sort of new emotional journey that she was going to go on. Um, Mm -hmm. so that was critical. The idea for the second movie honestly happened when I was, I was sitting in the editing room and we were, we were, we were working on one of the scenes where Ryan, the roommate, um, barges into the room and says, Hey, did you hit that fine vagina? Um, <laughs> and, and I started laughing to myself and I said to my, my, my editor, Greg Plotkin, um, on the first movie, I said, would, how funny would it be if he was the reason this all happened? Um, <laughs> and, and it kind of snowballed very quickly from there for me in terms of like, I was like, well, they're on a, they're on a university campus. This guy easily could be you know, a physics genius, you know, in, in hiding. Um, what if he's built something that caused all this? And then once I started to play with that idea, then it led me to the idea of, of, of moving between dimensions um, because we're already playing with time travel. So I was like, why can't I play with inter, interdimensional travel as well? And then once I had that component in place, then I landed on, okay, so if tree ends up in a new dimension, um, where things are different, then then she's going to have to meet her mom, um, because that's that's where the real heart and soul of the movie is, um, because she's sort of having to basically choose between her past and her future. Um, but ultimately, for me, and this is where stuff got really personal for me. Um, you know, when I, I, I my dad passed away when I was when I was sixteen years old, um, and so that had a huge impact on me. Um, especially creatively. And I think a lot of people who lose a parent at a young age um, spend their lives trying to sort out their feelings about that. Um, And the conclusion that I came to a long time ago 
was that, you know, as horrible and as painful as that event was for me, I also realized how much it shaped me. Um, mm. And I don't think I would be a filmmaker today had I not lost him. Um, and so what I wanted to put into this movie, and granted, it's, it's, it's funny because these movies, um, you know, they're fun and they're silly and they're meant to be a good time. And I also sort of feel like, and especially in horror, um, being sentimental and being emotional is typically frowned upon um, in, in the genre. But I just decided that I wasn't going to play by anyone's rule book in that regard. And I was going to lean into this because I thought it was, I thought there was a message in the movie that I thought was important, which was um, the bad things that happen to you are still the things that shape you um, and, yeah. and you can't run away from them. And so that was, that was the message in the movie for Tree. Cause a lot of people have said, well, she's so stupid. Like, why didn't she just stay? Like her mom's there. Um, and it cracks me up because I'm thinking, well, then you missed the point of the movie because the whole point of the movie is that she, she has to embrace all the parts of herself, even the parts of herself that hurt in order to be whole. Uh, yeah. And that was the journey of the second movie. The first movie was, I'm a bitch. Um, and I'm a miserable person. And then she realizes, oh shit, how I treat other people matters, you know? So that was kind of like the nice message of the first movie, um, that, that accountability is, is key. Um, and that being kind to one another is important. And then in this, in the second movie, obviously I had this other theme. Um, so I was, I was very interested in trying to sort of elevate the story through character. Um, you know, and, and so that, that's why I ended up going on this whole, you know, crazy, um, how I ended up in this whole crazy story. But I also knew for me too, if I was going to, if I was going to convince Jessica Roth to come back and be in a second movie, I was not going to just sort of say, Hey, let's rehash, you know, like, let's, let's yeah. take you on it. No, I, I like, she is such a talented person, um, that it would be beneath her as an actor, not to give her something real to, to do here. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. and so for better or for worse, and again, I, you know, I've, I've, I've read a lot of reviews and I've gotten a lot of flack for, for going in this direction, you know, because people feel like I, I, you know, I ditched the slasher movie elements too much, or I, I didn't make it scary enough or, but again, for me, it was like, if you wanted, if, cause everybody loves Jessica Roth and everybody wants her back. But my whole thing was to everyone. Then I said, if you want her back, this is the only way you get to have her back because the first movie is very closed ended. Um, there was, there was no other way to make this movie hers without doing this. So you're either in or you're out. Yeah. I, w I was just gonna say, I pretty much agree with what you said with, uh, because watching the movie, I, I was thinking to myself, why why wouldn't she just stay in the in this new reality with her mom? Maybe she could get a chance to get her boyfriend back. Especially but, since he was cheating. Oh, yeah. he was being cheated yeah. on by Danielle. <laughs> but then I, I said to myself, that's that's not her world though. She needs to go back where she was and what like all these feelings that happened to her. They they happened in that first world that she was in, and that's where I think she deserves to be and where she needs to be right yeah i mean that was why I, I feathered in all those scenes with her realizing that like she there are all of these memories and experiences that she never had um because they weren't things that belonged to her um and and carter says it later in the movie that she's she's just living someone else's life that doesn't belong to her um 
And so again, that was that was key. I will say, you know, if if there's a silver lining to having kind of a crappy box office weekend, <laughs> um, I have gotten lots and lots of messages. Um, you know, our audience is is predominantly young, um, and I've gotten a lot of messages from 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 kids out there who who lost a parent um, and were really moved by this aspect of the story. Um, and so that makes me feel really, really good. That that's what has more value to me than any, than any number. Um, yeah. and so I, I think we're all, especially Jess, you know, Jessica has an insanely close relationship with her mom. Her mom was on set quite a bit during both movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was a really personal movie for her as well. Um, because this was very much sort of a, a love letter to her mom. Um, so, uh, you know, for all the all the mama's boys and <laughs> people out there who, who, you know, have these close relationships with their parents, I, I really wanted the movie to resonate for them. Yeah. It's good when you can make art that even if it doesn't resonate to everybody, it resonates to a strong group of people. Yeah, that's all you can that's all you can do. Yep. Exactly. So uh I'll we'll let you go, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us for this uh interview slash discussion of the film uh i rod could speak for himself but for me i loved this movie i thought it was so well done i thought the script was great i thought it i loved how it embraced its tone uh and i was just very thoroughly impressed with it so i really um, i i understand it might be a little disappointing with the box office numbers i'm disappointed too uh because i always want good movies that are good to do well uh, but I just want you to know, I loved the movie and I thought you did a fantastic job. Oh, I really appreciate it. And uh, I, I also appreciate um, chatting with you guys today. So thank you. Yeah, no and if, if you can't make the third one, I, I hope you get to work with Blumhouse again because I, I think you guys are a good pair. Yeah, I will for sure. That's not going to change. We really, I really love Jason Blum and everybody that works at his company. They're great people. And I, I really look forward to, to whatever we do next. That's yeah. awesome. So, Happy Death Day to you is in theaters currently. Go see the film, uh, especially if you've seen the first one. And if you haven't seen the first one, watch the first one, and then go see the next one, like I did. Uh, You won't be disappointed. Uh, Chris, Landon, thank you so much for joining us for this interview. Uh, I'm very excited to see what you do next with your career. Uh, Hopefully, it's a Happy Death Day 3. But if not, I'm I'm still very interested to see what you do next with your career. Thank you for joining us. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Yep. Take care.